Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? You already know. You already know. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. It is also, I think, an appropriate day to discuss how good pro taste. <laughs> you think I'm going to be eating some crow here today, do you? I think you're going to be eating a little bit of some, little, little bit of crow today. We'll see about that, sir. We shall see. But as always, it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat sports fan. Lots to talk about since our last podcast, Hummer. The Bearcats played three games this week, finished two and one, um, started out the week with a nice victory over Tulsa, a game that was very much in jeopardy there toward the end. But with about, if our memory serves, 15 seconds or so left, Jeremiah and Micah forced a turnover, which led to Jeremiah getting a layup with about eight seconds left in the game. The Bearcats pull it off 70 to 69 at Tulsa. They followed that up with what many would claim is the greatest you know, victory of all time. One of the greatest victories in, in Bearcats history when uh, they beat Tulane at home 91. Was that a 91 71 t- final? Is that the final of that score of that game? Yes. Okay. And then they also played Sunday today, which is when the, the podcast is being recorded. And uh, lost a tough game to the Memphis Tigers. What was the final score of that game, Hummer? 80 to 74. Okay. Um, but surprisingly with that game, I was sitting there with about 45 seconds to a minute left. And uh, I was in the car. We were coming home from Cincinnati. We were, uh, were hungry. Well, you know, so we went, we went to get Chipotle. I'm waiting in the car. And I'm like, okay, 10 points, 45 seconds. It's safe for me to go in and get and get this order. I come back out. I haven't even checked the score. I gave you a call. There's eight seconds left. And you're telling me there's a two-point game. <laughs> <laughs> you called me at the exact moment that um, Memphis is at the line. They're down. They're up two in that, at that point in the game. And there's eight seconds left. And you're calmly speaking to me as if this game happened hours ago. And I said, Hummer, Memphis is currently shooting two. And the Bearcats are only down two points. And they ended up making both. Micah Adams Woods turned the ball over on the final possession. But it was pretty much moot at that point. Once it's a four-point game, you've, you've got to hit a three to have any sort of chance. But tough game. And we'll get into the details of that game, Hummer. I know you didn't have a chance to see a ton of it because of, because of plane travel. But I think, I think we need to start this podcast off right. And I think we need to do so by, by really celebrating the week that our three leading freshmen had. And, and by that, I'm referring to Tari Eason. I'm referring to Mason Madsen. And I'm referring to Mike Saunders Jr. These three had their, uh, as they say, coming out party. Uh, is, that the, is that the phrase I'm looking for? They, they are officially here. They have arrived. They stamped their imprint in the minds and hearts of Cincinnati Bearcat fans alike. And that's not to say that any of them necessarily played perfect in, in, in all three games, but in each, each in their own way had some sort of game that kind of marked the, yep, I'm here. I deserve minutes. And you could start getting excited about what I'm going to bring to the UC team, not just for the last couple of games of this season, but into the future. Let's kick things I, off. I think I would, call it, I would call it, I would say they stoked the fires of your imagination of what could be when you're watching those, when you're watching the, those three freshmen play and, you know, to leave it in us a little commentary, there's something that I would notice over those games is there's points where we're actually seeing rotations that exist solely of bear, uh, John Brandon recruits uh, and not transfers, you know, just talking straight up, you know, we had sophomores and we had freshmen and it looked good. It, it Ooh, looked like a little, a little, a little Brandon ball tease, a little Brandon ball tease is what you're saying. Maybe we're, maybe we're getting there. Maybe we're starting to see what, what, what can be uh, when we're in there. But I think some other stuff that we saw, I'm just going to, just going to go right for it. I'm going for the jugular here today. Mike Saunders is letting it, the ball fly from three. <laughs> <laughs> why is that? So why is that so important to you, Hummer? 
because when I told you about four weeks ago, he needs to start when he's open on those three point shots to pull the trigger, not be so shy. You kind of gave me this look of like, that is, there's a reason why he's open. We want him. There's no business for him shooting a three point shot. Um, here we are today. I think, uh, the latest Ken Palm, he's shooting about 30% from beyond the arc, right, right below that notch five for 17. Um, but I want to say he's made all of those, those shots over the last three games. He hadn't taken, he's taken one three point shot. I think the whole season, um, so far, uh, he's just been, he's been playing lights out. He's been electric. He easily had his best week as a Cincinnati Bearcat, uh, over these last three games against Tulsa, against against um you know it actually started with houston frankly like i know a lot of guys that was obviously just an a, a god-awful performance we lost by 38 it, it caused the fan base at large to go into an upheaval about what's happening to our basketball program and look i know we're not guilty on this podcast i mean we're not innocent on this podcast we were we we stoked those fires hummer and frankly i think it was deserved and we'll get into that a little bit later but what Mikey has shown is that he's starting to get more comfortable on the court. He His turnover rate is coming down. This Memphis game that happened today, uh, Sunday, was easily just a dynamite performance, the best of the season for him. He played 31 minutes, shot six of eight from the field, two of four from three-point land, knocked down five of his seven free throws, scored 19 points, couple assists, three boards, most important stat on that sheet, one turnover. 31 minutes, one turnover against one of the best defenses in the country. He was able to stand up to the pressure. He was able to play with poise. He was able to knock down a couple of three-point shots. And what we saw on the court is that, man, if Mike Saunders Jr. Start ever is knocking down three-pointers at a consistent clip, which he's done over these last three games, it makes him basically impossible to defend. He's so fast. If, if defenders are forced to fly out to him to stop the three-point shot, he is going to absolutely blow by them for easy layups. And he started finishing at the rim with the left, with the right. It's absolutely beautiful. He's not afraid of contact. And yes, I'm eating crow, Hummer. I, I should acknowledge I am absolutely eating crow. I told you a couple weeks ago that he's probably open for a reason. He was not known as being a three-point shooter coming into UC. I, there was a lot of belief that he could, he could build it up and, and develop it. The thing is, he had no confidence. He just wasn't shooting the ball. So it would swing to him. He wouldn't let the ball fly. It would stagnate the offense. There was a lot of angst about why is he playing if he's not gonna if he's not gonna shoot it. What is what are we what are we doing here? And I'm eating crow. I'll admit it. Uh he has since started shooting the three. He's knocking it down and everything is coming into place for him. It's it's awesome to watch. It's exciting to watch. You can easily see now all of this, like all the skill set is settling in the defensive intensity, his ability to be an on ball defender, his ability to get to the rim. It's all great. It's all exciting. Mike Saunders Jr. That's, I think, I think it's appropriate. That's the first thing we talk about. Yeah. I think the other thing that's in, you know, I guess what I get so excited about when you're bringing all of those elements together is his speed, being that how elite he is. So you're 100% right. Knocking down that three point shot. You're going to force guys to come out and guard you, and you're going to punish them on being able to blow by them. And it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. So now it's just you know it's a matter of finishing at the rim, which he's he's doing that as well. We're seeing him take those drives. We're seeing him do that and through contact, and Mul contact, multiple and ones, multiple and ones against Memphis, finishing strong amongst the trees. And man, the speed when he's in transition on the wing, defenders legitimately have no idea what to do with him. You you can't cut him off. You can't draw a charge because he runs around you. So he's basically, he is somehow the first player in college basketball that is incapable, incapable of being called for a charge, even by college officials, because he is <laughs> so fast and they, they can't actually do wrong by him. So that's, that's it. You got to admit, that's a, that's a valuable skill to have to be able to avoid charges at the college level. I love the facetiousness there, but it's so true. Um, the other thing though, that you want to point out with the, with the and ones, why that's so important for him is we actually didn't have a chance to know what the stat was because he hadn't taken many of them. Free throws, free throw shooting percentage. He's almost 80%. He's a 78% free throw shooter percentage from a Bearcat perspective. Uh, that's pretty darn good. Uh, you know, I feel like in the past we were, not that we were happy with it, but you would define good as a Bearcat as like above 60%. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, right. so that's it's, a, that's a stretch, but yes, I know what you're saying. Yes. Being facetious there, but no, I think that's fantastic. He's going to be able to do that. And it's in his on ball defending skills too. Like you can't, it's something that you're seeing these freshmen when they want to, that they, they, they can fight through those screens. They play, they, they work very hard at keeping the defender in front of them, not letting them get blown, get blown by. Um, Mason Madsen, I think, is is one who's really improved from the beginning of the season uh, on the defensive front. Because there are the few games at the beginning of the season where I think we kind of made a comment where we're like, "Well, is he is he quite ready to be here yet? You know, are we? You know, there's at times where I guess I'll reminisce about last year with Zach Harvey, where we just said, frankly, he just he looked lost on the court at times. Uh, you know, the game was he, he hadn't picked up the speed of it. I think Mason has adjusted very well to the speed of this game. And so has Mike Saunders Jr. Uh, we can't leave out Tari Eason because he he's had a, well. A we're going to talk about them. I, I still want to talk about Mason. I want to talk about Tari, but I'm trying to give each of them their shine. The last thing I'll say about Saunders, before the Houston game, he had been I think 0 of 5 from three point land on the season, which just tells you he just doesn't shoot them right. Like he just wasn't shooting threes, which is in some ways more damaging. Than, than than not making them like if you shoot them in rhythm a there's a chance they go in but b it gives the team a chance to get an offensive rebound or, or for something to happen positive for the bearcats if you don't shoot them it often leads to kicking it back out to another player who is more guarded than you were and now the offense is kind of it, it's stalled and you don't get a good shot or even worse, you know, they, they start looking for, you know, interior passes to players who we shouldn't be running our offense through. I, I that I kid, I kid, but he's he's now five of nine from three-point land over the last four games. So against Houston, Houston, Tulsa, Tulane, and now Memphis, he's made five of nine of his threes. He's doubled his output from an attempt standpoint. So great, he's made them. He's now he's not gonna make them over 50% throughout his career. But the important development piece is he's shooting them. He's got the confidence to start shooting these. And to me, the, the entire aura of his game looks more confident and comfortable out there since he started doing this. So just wanted to give kudos to him. It's been he's been one of the few bright spots we've had recently uh, to kind of hang our cap on. The, well, the, it's also what we said we wanted to see. That was one of our things we after after coming out of the COVID break, we were saying, what are we looking for? You know, reevaluating the bar here. That's one thing that we wanted to see is we wanted to see improvement from the freshmen. We wanted to see just general play improvement from players, things that we can look forward to for next season to say, hey, this is this is a new baseline for us. Um, but look, and in the, in the, when John Brandon first came to this, and I think his first press conference, they talked about ball moving. They talked about one, the you know, three-point shooters, you know, that inside-out game, you know, more of an NBA-style offense. And with that, I would expect the guys that are Brandon to be recruiting that we have the ability to shoot three-pointers. Yeah, that's just a part. I think that's what he wants his offense to be. That's why I was kind of like, that's where I kind of got to think, well, like if you're open, shoot it because that's the best shot that we have is when you're open is one that's and, open. And that's what I failed. I, I just wasn't thinking in that moment, which is you're right. If, if he's going to play, I think the way to phrase it was, look, if Brandon's going to play Mike Saunders jr, he has to be willing to shoot an open three point shot. If it, it swings to him and he's in the corner open for three, you have to be confident enough to shoot it. And he's done that the last four games and it's made a huge difference on the court. Um, the next, the next player I'd like to talk about Tari. We've talked about him at length all season, so we don't have to go as deep. I think Mike Saunders, it's more of a novelty because frankly, it's his, it's his first stretch of very productive basketball for the Bearcats. The interesting thing about Tari, he actually had two pretty mediocre games this week. Uh, some might even call them bad to his standard. And most of it's not really due to his playing, but more so his inability to play, his, his inability to stay on the court without, without fouling. However, the Tulane game was a complete different story, and Tari was an absolute freak show in terms of what he was doing on the court. And we saw the entire bag on display. His skill set is outrageous. He is by far the most talented player on this team. He is easily, when you watch this Tulane performance, you see a guy who projects an NBA level skill set, right? If the, if the jumper starts falling, the athleticism, the length, the raw skills, they're all there. And they were on display, full display against Tulane, particularly in that second half. I just want to, I'll read the line Hummer and then give you a chance to react to this. Tari Eason played 28 minutes, shot eight of eight from the field, 
one of one from three-point land, made three of his four free throws, 13 rebounds, three of those were offensive, two assists, one steal, three blocks, zero turnovers, 20 points. Obscene. I should have, my bad, my bad. I should have, I should have told, you know, for the parents listening, your kids listening to the podcast, cover their ears. It's gross. They shouldn't have to hear something like that. It was a ridiculous performance. And if you're a Cincinnati fan, like that is, that's the kind of power forward play we absolutely love and salivate over here. It was a dynamo performance and shows you that, you know, you just want to see him get more minutes. Because you want to see consistency, you want to see consistency, consistency. Boom! I like that because it's the the story of Tari East in these last three games is a roller coaster. You know, you're starting at the bottom, you hit this peak, and now we we come back onto the other side down the hill in this last game that we're watching. So it's it's consistency that we need out of them, uh, and so like consistency comes with minutes, and like honestly, it's the fouls, fouls, fouls. It's it's plagued this team all year for us. Uh, a foul is just as good as a turnover. Um, you know, and we commit so many of them constantly. Uh, so yeah, Tari Eason, that's incredible. I didn't get to see this is really, this was a shame on me. So I had a wedding this weekend that I had to go to that I was in. And it was a beautiful ceremony. It was great. It was, it was wonderful. Beautiful. Um, so we were at the rehearsal dinner and all of a sudden, you know, I, I get the notification comes through Bearcats win 90, 91, 71. I watched the first half. So you get to miss all the fun. You missed all. I missed all the fun. Not only that, I missed all the fun, but then all of a sudden I get this notification that we won by twenty, and I'm like, <laughs> "What? What? What happened?" It's jarring, man. We haven't really, we haven't really experienced anything like that under Brandon, where you're just dominating and thoroughly dismantling a team. At least this year, in particular, you know, we just that's not something that's been in our repertoire. Tari was was a, was just awesome. I mean, it was it was doing things like blocking a shot on one end, sprinting down the court getting the feed from Mason Madsen and flushing it down with two hands did that on multiple occasions where he got the block sprinted out. They got him the ball in transition and he finished at the rim. He's just, he's just so freaking athletic and he has such an incredible skill set. His arms on defense. I was looking up stats to see blocks per game uh, for Bearcats of, of, of past years. Right. And I think Justin Jackson his senior year, I think, blocked around 2.9 shots a game. Eric Hicks, his senior year, blocked around 3.3 blocks a game, uh, shots a game. And then there's Jason Maxiel was around 2.7. I kind of I kept my lit my my list to about the last 20 years. Those are the best best shot blockers to come through. You see over the last two decades, and Tari's upside on that end. That's what he could do. Tari, in terms of developing into his sophomore, junior, and senior year. His he has the capability of blocking three shots a game, and it's going to come just based on more minutes played. A, but then B, being in better position, having a better comfort level with the defense that his coaches are asking him to play. If he does those two things, the blocks follow because his arms are are go go gadget in length. They he just has a knack for getting his hands uh, on the ball, whether it be on a, on a drive to the hoop or when they're taking a shot at the rim. It's 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 so exciting to watch that kind of player and that kind of talent. Well, it's also funny. So I, I was the next morning, I'm trying to watch the second half because it's still up on ESPN plus. We get like five minutes in, but then I have to go and, and start doing some, some groomsmen activities. Uh, so and I go back to trying to like watch it here and there. And, and one of the guys were with me to come, Oh, this is dedication. Like you're really trying to watch this. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I am. And I'm wait, waiting for it five minutes into the second half like come on it has to be has to start soon like it's going to take off soon right launch pat launch time is coming well espn refreshes and espn plus takes down the the feed to the stream and i didn't have access to it i never got to see it (laughs) you know i never actually fact checked you on that to see if it was in fact taken down I've been or looking for if, it. I, I went to ESPN Plus. I'm just I was there now. I'm like, can I go back and rewatch it? And if you click on the link and you go to search for it, it just takes me directly to our page with the uh, the robotic generated recap. <laughs> well, if if you're listening, so I might to this, be able to find it. If you can find, if you it, can prove, if you can prove that Hummer could have watched this game and that it as, is actually available on ESPN Plus, 
please send us a message on that and call him out because there will be consequences to pay for him if it's What's true the consequence i'll watch it i just I, can't no find it. i don't know i'm gonna think of what the consequence is there's consequences to pay for everything sir okay if you didn't watch that exciting second half we're gonna make there's some sort of punishment in play um lastly hummer let's i kind of want to get you know to me, these are the most exciting three th- three things about the Bearcats program right now. And add on to that Jeremiah Davenport. Um, but Mason Madsen, and it's easier to talk about him because what he's done is just prove that he is a ridiculous three-point threat. He, he now understands that, yes, I am the best shooter on this team. And yes, uh, when, when I have an open look on the three-point line, I am going to take it. I have a green light. I will let it fly. I think at the end of the two lane game, he let one fly from the fifth third logo. It was, it was a bit much for him. He ended up airballing it, but the confidence and the ability to knock down three point shots is unreal. It is so badly wanting. It is so badly wanted here at this university that I think instantly fans are gravitating to him because of our desperation for someone who can reliably knock down a three point shot with some level of consistency. Mason is that dude. All right. So uh, I found it. <laughs> you I can, can watch it. it. I can. I can watch it. Oh, so. my gosh. I'm going to put it on now. So I'm going to I'm going to have this on and then I'm going to react to it live for the first time as if I'm seeing it at points. So bear with me, guys. But no, Mason Madsen has been incredible. It's it's uh, it's a pure, it's a it's just a pure joy to be able to watch someone and be like, yes, please shoot the ball. Shoot the ball yes. as much as you can. Like, yes, let it fly. Um, if he hesitates, I want the whole crowd in fifth third to do the, the mama do and just go like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, like the, he has a green light to let it fly. Uh, but he plays his, his energy is, is rivaling that, in my opinion, of Jeremiah Davenport in terms of his enthusiasm uh, and what he brings to the, the court, not only from a skill set, but the intangibles, um, like leader, leadership potential. He's, a, he's an exciting player to watch. Absolutely. So he's, he's shooting more threes, you know, over the last four games for him, he's knocked down uh, eight three pointers. He shot nine against Tulane. So the green light was maybe firing a little bit too much. He only made two of nine in that game, but super confident. It's a quick trigger. He can get it off easily. I've noticed some subtleties in his game where he's moving off the ball. And I saw it with David DeJulius before he, he opted out for the season. And that's where we're going to kind of take this conversation next, but he's figured out a way. Oh, when, when David's driving to the basket, I can just take three steps over. So, you know, it's a very subtle movement and he's, he knows I'm going to make that move, get the ball back to me. The shot is open for that split second and Mason has the ability of knocking it down. So yeah, that's a, that's an important development. You've got to have these three point shooters. I think the biggest thing for the Bearcats this week is that it's basketball and offense in particular is a lot easier if you don't shoot 28% from three. When you, when you can't make shots, it turns out basketball is very difficult and it's very difficult to win games. But when you do make shots and, and you do make some three-pointers and it does soften up the defense and you are walking away with points on these possessions, hey, the game gets a little easier. Well, let's also give the let's give them credit for for running offense and, and getting open and finding the open man. Like That's something they've been doing a, a really good job of lately is finding an open man. But the Masons point, I saw him, I think it was today, um, on the, the glimpse I got to see of the game. He's he's covered well defensively, and he basically takes one dribble, you know, two dribbles, three steps over, and just launches a three up and just like and and drills it in front of the defender's face. Like that's that's awesome. I love seeing a guy being able to to do that and to be consistent with it. Yeah, he's he's a truly knockdown shooter. And it's, it's the confidence is there. I love that. He's there's no short of shortage of confidence. And um, yeah, it's something that you can kind of look forward to his growth and development. He needs to, you know, clearly he's a bit overmatched at times defensively. Brandon hasn't deployed him as much in second halves of games. So it seems like either Brandon is forgetting about him or moving away from him intentionally in those second halves, potentially for defensive purposes, right? If you're not playing Mason, you're likely paying, a combination of Mike Saunders Jr., Micah Adams-Woods, Keith Williams, longer, more athletic players who have the ability to defend at a higher level. Uh, none of them are the shooters necessarily from three that Mason is, though Micah can, right? Like Micah can knock it down from three. So I imagine that's the that's the mentality from John Brandon's standpoint. 
you know, I, I wanted to bring up, do you have anything else to say on these three guys? There's one more stat about these freshmen I wanted to bring up. So uh, apparently where I'm at in this game is 10 minutes. This is, this is the, uh, the rewatch update, 10, 10 minutes, 34 seconds in Tulane is tied with Cincy uh, 58 all. When does this game just like take off? When do we just, uh, when does it just look like a complete massacre? Like, is it going to be just five minutes of pure insanity coming up here? Right. What minute did you say you were at? About 10? 10. Yeah. This is the moment. It starts taking off. I just right saw, saw Tari Tar just made a three and he throws his hands in the air like, right. Up, and they put, so basically they make the entire run with a lineup that I think is Mason Madsen, Jeremiah Davenport, Tari Eason. Micah Adams Woods and Mike Saunders Jr. So it was the man. Good I memory. They were That's dubbed, exactly who's in right now. <laughs> yep. Baby Bearcats. They make a huge run. They play incredibly well. The ball moves well. They defend and press. It's an awesome moment. It was honestly. This kind of goes back to what stretch. we just said earlier that this is an all Brandon, you know, recruit recruiting class. This is, you know, none of these players were transfers. All these players were, you know, they, they've come in They're, These are the guys who are building sweat equity into the program. As, it, as we like to say, I hear that. I, I always get a kick out of that though, because you know, who else is a Brandon guy is Chris vote. He recruited him to NKU. He recruited him to UC and he rides him be, like he's a go-to player. And before the season, he said he was one of our go-to players. Chris vote yeah. is, is a John Brandon player. I guess that is true. Okay. It's cool that, I mean, these are the young guys. It's the future of the Bearcats program, but it's convenient to look past the, th the fact that Chris vote is also a John Brandon guy. I'll say that here's what, I guess what I'll say though is and God help me if I'm going to get crucified for this. Uh, Chris vote is, is a different caliber of player. In my opinion, when he was recruited, he was recruited to a Northern, Northern Kentucky. Um, these he were players recruited him to UC. He had him transfer here. No, he transferred, but when he was recruited at first, when he was first brought to Brandon, it was NKU. Brandon brings him to UC. but And the plays him he, 30 minutes a game. Like, this is I, – where you're taking this makes me so uncomfortable because we're sort of like – we're wiping our hands of it. No, John Brandon had to it. do this. I don't want you to have to take it there. I'm not really trying to criticize or bring out the criticism in Brandon because we all, we all know how we feel about his lineup decisions. Like, th that's no secret, especially on this podcast, our, our – uh, affinity for Chris Brandon. Uh, but what I'm saying is like right here, you're seeing these are players that in my opinion, being recruited to the university of Cincinnati are a higher caliber player than what is uh, an individual who typically gets recruited to an NKU. Right. And so Chris vote coming along one Brandon. Yes. He's built up trust with Brandon. Brandon likes him. They're friends, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He's coming to UC. Great for him. These are guys that were recruited to come here first. I got gotcha. you. I get that. that I get sense? that. I just, it almost feels everyone is very excited to hang on to that fact, right? Against Tulane in that stretch of basketball from the 10 minute mark to the four minute mark, whatever it was, maybe the last 10 minutes in full, um, that that is what Brandon has in mind when he recruits these guys. This is the style of basketball that's coming to Cincinnati, but it doesn't change the fact that Chris vote is a guy that he brought over from NKU and explicitly decided to play through him as a go-to option for the Bearcats. It doesn't change the fact that Zach Harvey was someone that John Brandon recruited to Cincinnati and he couldn't figure out how to properly use him uh, and, and could never make the relationship work. And that's why he is no longer here. Um, sorry. I thought I got booted offline there for a second and just my, my oh, that's fine. I'm you're, you're, you're talking about, it's like, it's so it's, it's, Funny, want doing this right now, watching this. I can't believe you're doing it during the podcast. By the way, yeah, I'm, dude, I'm gonna point something out. Like, I just saw something I've never <laughs> seen from this team before. I saw uh, Mike Saunders Jr. scream, sprinting down the court and screaming at other players to get back on defense. Yeah, like, the chemistry was good, man. The chemistry, chemistry was, was really good. good. This looks awesome. This looks. Yeah, this it looks was. Fun, it fun was easily one of the most you know positive moments of the season. And, uh, and, and it, we should be excited when you, when you do make a run like that with younger players, there is reason to be excited before we move this conversation to kind of addressing the, the week that was in Bearcat land. I want to share one last stat and maybe you can make some guesses here. Are you familiar with the stat box plus minus? I'm not educate me. Simply speaking, plus minus is basically how the team performs when you're on the court. Are you, and, and kind of your place your improvement beyond a average player. Um, so I think technically defined, like I'll read the exact definition. 
a box so it's score kind of like estimate. Wins above replacement. Wins above replacement. From it's, the it's not wins above replacement, but it's more a box score estimate of the points per 100 possessions a player contributed above a league average player, translating into an average. So when I give you a number like 4.0, that means he's four points better than an average player in terms of points on the basketball court for his. And team. if it was NBA, he would be an all-star consideration. I don't know. We don't, I don't have a way of contextualizing that number. I'm not talking about the oh, bas- basketball reference has it on here. It says okay. that 10 plus is an all time season. Think of like Jordan or LeBron eight right. MVP season. Think Dirk or peak Shaq. Uh, who do you, who do you think has the best BPM box plus minus on the Bearcats? When they're, in on the court when they're on the court who has the best bpm i'd say jeremiah davenport jeremiah davenport is second with a bpm of 4.6 very strong very strong very important player who do you think is second who do you think is first why do i just feel like this is like a trick question or something (laughs) um if i had to guess at the time i would have to i mean keith williams would be the obvious guess right Keith Williams is third with a BPM of 3.0. Okay. Fourth was Zach Harvey at 2.9. We're like running out of guesses here. So uh, you're just going to make me go. Tari, Tari Eason in a landslide. Tari, Tari Eason has Tari the, Eason. the best BPM on the team, 5.9. 1.3 points better than, than Jeremiah Davenport. How are they? I guess how is it computed? What's where do they get the stats from? It's basically taking like your minutes played and looking at box score, like point changes in the game, and then comparing it to league average players to to contextualize it to say this is your value. Your team is this many points better when you're on the court versus a league average player. Okay. So take it take it for what you want. It's not the end all be all. Um, you know, he's also number one on the team in win shares per 40 minutes. He, um, defensively he and, and, uh, I'm sorry, win shares overall, Jeremiah Davenport is number one. Tari Easton's obviously a little bit better per 40, but he gets less minutes, but he's second overall on the team in win shares and the top three, the stats would tell you the top three players on the Bearcats are Jeremiah Davenport, Tari Easton. And Keith Williams in terms of their impact to winning basketball for the Bearcats. So I think we both have an opportunity to eat some some more crow as we have all season with this one because Jeremiah Davenport, our our preseason odd man out, going from odd man out to literally one of the best players on the team, if not the best player on the team. Uh, he's been he's been awesome. And I will say this though, I went back and re-listened to that episode. Not as bad in hindsight. Like the way we talked about it, pretty fair. We did acknowledge there was an opportunity for him to play minutes. I don't think we wrote him off as much as I maybe remembered writing him off. He has definitely exceeded expectations and proven us wrong, though. I will. We are eating crow. We are doing a walk of atonement on that together. Hand in hand. Shame, shame, shame. The bell is ringing. We are naked in the streets of some random European city. We're, we're, we're naked down main street on campus on, on Clifton campus. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, we'll also point out though. I think we, we did, or we tried to, I tried to call it. I said, Dar- Jeremiah Davenport is one of the best players, if not the best player on the court, probably before COVID break. And you looked at me like I was crazy as well. Um, man, he's also a player who's had uh, a nice, a nice stretch of games uh, lately as well. Um, that two lane game. I know we're, we're like, Ooh, and alling over, you know, Tari's performance, uh, but man, Davenport, ten for sixteen. Yeah, Davenport's legit. Three 20, for three from the free throw line. Twenty-seven points. Twenty-seven points, man, and carried us in the first half. He's been outstanding. Honestly, you think that the shooting isn't fake, right? I think with Mike Saunders Jr., we have to see more shots to that's know good, exactly where point. he's going to settle in. With Jeremiah, this is this is going on a full season of just being a flamethrower. It's, it's ridiculous. He's six, seven, he gets it off easily. You can't block a shot. You can't even really contest it out there. It's, it's crazy valuable. And he's, he's easily, I mean, I think the numbers back it up. He is a top two, top three, important player to the Bearcats. I think at this point it's easily, he's top two. He's easily one of the two most important players to this team. And if we, if we're talking consistency, I, I, you're right. Like he's probably the most valuable player on the team this year. I'll yeah, stop I mean, edging. He, 
he, yeah, there's no hedging needed here. He makes his, like, he makes free throw shooting. He can hit the, he can hit an open three. He can drive the basket. He, he has a lot of, a lot of talents that he can utilize to keep defenses guessing what's, what's coming next. Uh, but he, he's just one of those guys too. And this is where I, I, I'm getting too caught up in the, you know, the momentum talk, if you would, but he brings that energy to the court. He comes on, he's a firecracker. And I love that. You know, that's, that's part of that culture building that we've kind of been lacking this season is having a team full of guys like that. And so when you, when you bring him on and he's, he comes out just always on fire, ready to steamroll anybody who gets in his way. When you bring in guys like Mason Madsen who come out with that same attitude, that stuff's infectious. You know, just like COVID, that stuff will spread and it'll take over a team. All right. Come on, this is man. a beautiful one, though. This is a beautiful. This is a beautiful one that this you want to take over the virus. team. Beautiful virus, the best virus, <laughs> the only kind of viruses that that we need. Um, but that's oh, what I'm looking I think- forward to. I want to see more of that. I want to see more of this, and I'm ready to see more fun. I, I want. That's when they look like they're having fun. It was. This was. There was moments this week where basketball was fun again, and I would say this is a great time to transition to. Let's revisit what we talked about last week with B Fox because that got a lot of traction and it was interesting to see the reactions to the podcast. You had some people who saw it and, and thought, look, these guys are just are, are speaking honestly about everything that's happened with the program. They just took a 38 point beat down at the hands of Houston and things don't look great. Things aren't going well. And frankly, they, they weren't going well and they're still arguably not going as well as they should. Um, but you know, there was comments made about could more guys transfer and do we know who's transferring and, and who's coming back and, 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 and how is the team playing? Does, does Brandon have it in him to kind of figure this out and write the ship? What do you, after, after recording that podcast last week and seeing the reaction to it, what's, what was your, what, do you have any big takeaways from it? You know, the first big takeaway that that I'll I'll point out, and this is something for any anybody listening to the podcast, like when you and I started this podcast, it wasn't to be journalists, it wasn't to, you know, to be right. That wasn't the thing. It's it's about being talking about the Bearcats from the fans' perspective and how we're feeling and and what it is that, you know, this is the stuff I talk about with my dad. You know, this is the stuff that you and I are talking about. We're just, you know, we're doing it here in this format. At the end of the day, you know, we kind of have that freedom to say whatever it is that we want and what we're feeling because we're just talking about the team. We're not, we're not, we don't need access to coaches for interviews. We don't need access to players. We just want to sit here and talk, talk Bearcat hoops. And that's what we're going to do. So, you know, we're not here. I don't think we're, we're not intentionally wanting to be negative. We're going to be fair. I want to be fair to John Brandon. I want to be fair to the players. If, if this is going well, I'm going to scream it at the top of my lungs and say, I'm the happiest basketball fan in the world. When things are going south, I'm going to express my displeasure and, and how it's hurting and how I'm angry. Um, and that's where I think like you can see it in even what we're talking about today. I think we're being really fair about the, the let's face it. We've had some really great individual performances, a great team effort against Tulane. We did have a win though against a really bad Tulsa team that came down to a last second shot that, that game could have been a coin flip. It could have been a loss just as bad. And now we're talking about one and two with a loss against a really bad Tulsa team. So I think that that's what we want to keep in mind. And with that, what I'll say is I don't think we actually ever said Davenport is leaving. That's not what we said. We said, we didn't say anything, right? B Fox, yeah, we didn't say it. B Fox, B Fox made some strong insinuations about guys. Strong who might insinuations. Leaving, right? Like he, there's a difference and we're not, we don't know who is staying, who's going. You have Except to talk Zach, about it though. We, I think we, I think we do know one though. We do know Zach Harvey's gone. Yeah. They didn't say happy birthday to him on Twitter. You know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of it's the, true though. that's it's the confirmation, true. He's right? Gone. Yeah. He, they didn't say happy birthday to him. You know, people close to the coach are liking posts that say bye Felicia when he's, you know, quote unquote quitting on the team. He, he's clearly not back. And, and the way he was treated because of his COVID out, um, opt out was a lot different from the program than David DeJulius. And David DeJulius is another guy who opted out. Hummer, when guys are leaving the team consistently over two years, you have to wonder if the coach is fostering an environment that guys want to play in. Yeah. Is there a common denominator here? Right. So you have to talk about it. It's negligence if you're not talking about it. 
because we also have no recruits lined up for 2021. So Hummer and I aren't going to an extreme of saying coaching change, but that's not what we're doing at all. What we're saying is, hey, hey folks, we were seven and eight at the time. Right now we're nine and nine. We were seven and eight at the time of recording that podcast. We're a 500 basketball team. We have no new players coming in next season, next season, except for red shirt. And I guess you wouldn't even classify him as red shirt, except for Victor Locken. We have lost. We have lost a rash of players. Rapolis Ivanowskis is gone. Mamadou Diara, we found out, was honored tonight as a senior. He's not back. He's not back. If you're if you're being honored as a senior, you're not coming back. Rapolis, Mamadou, Harvey. We just said he's not back. He's gone. He's he's as good as gone based on all the tea leaves. Um, David DeJulius has opted out. It does sound like he's coming back. And Chad Brendel did some reporting. Justin Williams did some reporting that all expectations are that he's coming back to play basketball for the Bearcats next season. Um, who am I missing? Gabe Madsen is, is currently Gabe yeah, Madsen is an opt out, and we have no idea what he's doing. All of those things have happened, and you have no new recruits at this point lined up for next season. Yes, you're going to be in the transfer portal. We know how much of a wild card that is, folks. It's okay to be concerned about those things. We should be concerned about those things, and it's okay for our coaching staff to hear some criticisms on this stuff. So let's let's go with the assumption that Gabe is coming back. All right. Let's let's operate on that assumption. Okay. Let's give that let's give them the benefit of the doubt there. And let's go through and look at what we have for next season so far. Eight scholarship players. Mike Adams Woods. We have Jeremiah Davenport. Go by position. Go by position. Point starting point guard, backup point guard. What's the rotation look like? So we're gonna have Mike Adams Woods handling the ball. Well, actually, that's a good question. No, David DeJulius, David DeJulius should be back and be our starting point guard. Well, that's what I was going to say. Well, when you're talking about rotations and depending, you got you to account for Mike Saunders, the rise of, of Mike Saunders Jr. here. I am. Um, He's the, he, he and David DeJulius are the point guards in my mind. That, those are the two primary ball handlers. But I'm also wondering where Mike Adams Woodson falls in that same, rotation. Same place he falls this year. So, starting, all right, well, starting in the backcourt, but he's his two guard. So we're basically looking at guards, David DeJulius. We're looking at guards. Would you, would you be classifying Jeremiah Davenport then as, as, as a guard here? No, he's a, he's a forward. We're putting them as, as fours. Clearly, he's a forward. Man, just go by. He's, he's a three or forward, four. Apparently, it just says everything says guard. We're all guards. Um, Mike on Adams. This team, Woods, on this team, how could you? Like, we have too many Jr., small guys. David, David, the Julius. Uh, in a, in a weird way, you see Mason Madsen sometimes bring the ball up, and I think because he is like, let's go, let's keep it going. Well, anybody um, can bring the ball up, but like, is he going to be a primary creator for the team? Mike Saunders and David the Julius are the primary like primary ball handlers from a classification standpoint let's not get caught up in classifications i'm just saying point guard like slotting it in evenly point guard is david DeJulius and mike saunders jr two guard micah adams woods and mason madsen and then we're gonna have oh you got david DeJulius. small forward you can call jeremiah davenport and then you're gonna have tari playing like a, a true a true true power forward Right. And then I guess you put in Gabe Madsen, assuming Gabe Madsen's coming back, which is a big if. We don't know. We have no idea. If he comes back, he's, let's say, a backup small forward, backup guard. And then let's also remember that Victor is going to be basically a freshman. Correct. Uh, and we'll so, slot him in at center. So even if he's getting a significant minutes, how how much can we expect from him from a production standpoint? Um, so here's where I'm worried about next year. Because we have no recruits, we have eight scholarship players. We played eight scholarship players tonight, I believe. That's how many we had had rostered up. We have zero depth. This team will not be built for making long, sustained runs when when we're in the middle of the of crunch time of the season. Guys are going to get worn down because they're going to be playing constantly. You know, you're going to have to be running guys out. Like this is going to be almost like last year when you're seeing Trey Scott playing 38 minutes a game. When you're seeing Jaron Cumberland when he's healthy playing 36, 37 minutes a game, and it's going to wear on him. We don't have the depth, and that to me is terrifying. That's where I think that the the criticism that we're giving Brandon is real because we're run. He players have opted to leave the program. We're losing depth, and 
we got to replace it and we don't have anybody to replace them. So then we're going to go to the transfer portal. And that's where we want to say, Oh, this is the Holy grail, the transfer portal. Nothing's guaranteed there either. You know? And once again, we're building a program on, on transfers. Not that Dave, the Julius isn't putting his blood, sweat and tears into this program. You know, he, he is, but well, he was, <laughs> uh, he is, he is, he is. But, you know, like that, that's what I'm saying, though. You're going to have, you're going to basically have another group of guys that come in that are either going to be here for a year or two. And then we're going to be in the same process of getting, having to get more freshmen. It's just, we're missing a recruiting cycle. That's what we're missing right now. Exactly. And so I guess it just feels a little bit like everyone is very quick to, to kind of handle and talk about John Brandon with kid gloves. The point we're making and the point we were making last week is, Folks, there's reasons to be concerned. There's red flags happening here. Guys aren't happy. Guys are leaving the team. The coach is, is coaching a team that consistently turns the ball over, consistently fouls. Now, granted, that's cleaning up a little bit, but we're still seeing you know guys like Tari struggle to stay in the game. Chris Vogt struggle to stay in the game. And, and John Brandon has made bad lineup choices that have just bared out. I mean, he, he, he personally recruited... Rapalis to play the four next to Chris vote. It was a terrible idea. It never had a chance. He, he specifically said before the season down the stretch of games, the ball would run through Keith Williams and Chris vote. I, I don't know what, what planet he's living on where that the Chris vote part is, is a good idea. It's not. And so all of these things mixed together and you're saying, yeah, I'm concerned. We were concerned. We still are concerned. I want the best for Bearcats basketball. We're fans. I want it to, I want this to go well, but I think you hit the nail on the head, Hummer. There's, we don't need to, I just want, I want people to explain to me where the optimism, like where the blind faith is coming from. This week, the reason we started our podcast the way we did, this week we saw the reason for optimism. If the reason for optimism is that Mikey Saunders Jr. looks like a real deal point guard into the future. How quickly that he, he becomes a consistent, you know, 30 minute per game, high level player. I don't know if it happens a sophomore year, but junior year, senior year, I can easily see it. We've seen Tari Eason show ridiculous flashes. Yes, he could be someone to really build your team around. We also know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of noise around Tari Eason, period. And with a guy like that, the way college basketball is currently played, you have to not only recruit them to your program, you have to retain them at your program. We need to keep him a Cincinnati Bearcat. That's on John Brandon. And yes, there are concerns because we've seen lots of other departures. And then we, we talked about Mason Madsen. We've talked about Jeremiah Davenport. Clearly, if all of these guys stay... That is a solid core. That's a fun core. I don't know how, I mean, that core itself, I don't know if it wins enough games to make the tournament. You're going to have to see exponential growth, but that's something. But what are we adding to it? Nothing right now in 21. Nothing in 22. Well, you know, we, I think we beat the drum pretty hard last week, you know, with, with what we need to do uh, and what needs to happen. And we want to see it happen because at the end of the day, what I don't want to do is go back into the dark ages of Cincinnati basketball, uh, you know, where we're going to struggle to get remodels uh, of a new arena. You know, we're going to, sh- we're just going to struggle. The games are going to be miserable, boring, terrible, awful. I don't want that. I, I want to see a program that's thriving, you know, and there's red flags, but there's nothing that can't be, you know, it can't be turned around. And I think it's fair. I think it's totally fair to put, you know, the f- coach's feet to the fire, let him feel the pressure, let him feel the burn and realize that, look, we have expectations. And, you know, as a fan base, I think you, we were talking about this earlier. You pointed out, I, th- I think that people have moved the bar lower. Like yes. all of a sudden we don't have this expectation of every year we're going to be in the tournament every year. The Cincinnati Bearcats fan base expects a tournament team. We expect a top 25 ranking, frankly, is what we were getting to Bingo. under, under of Necronin. That's what we were expecting. And that bar should not be moved. We still should demand that as a fan base. And so John Brandon has to be aware that that is the expectation from our fan base, that that's what you have. That's what we want to see uh, being put on the court. That's the product that we want. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, Hummer. 
that I'm glad you brought that back up, which is you could feel it with the Tulane game. The Tulane game was such an interesting watch. And so is, so is Tulsa where you're coming off of a lot of noise around the program and, and it's noise about, you know, concern for the state of it, concern for the style of play, concern for the, for the results, concern for, Hey, are, are more guys going to transfer? And we get this victory against Tulsa. The guys battled hard. It was a road game against a, a flailing Tulsa team. And almost game. I mean, frankly, we gave that game away and Tulsa somehow gave it right back. They, they threw it right to Jeremiah. He finishes tip of the cap. We win the game. Thank God. Then Tulane, we explode in the second half against, against them and, and wind up winning by 20. And it felt like we're celebrating that as though it's sort of like proving everybody with their concerns wrong. You're not, it doesn't prove concerns wrong. The concerns are still there. In fact, I would question why we're not getting more performances like, like that Tulane game against the competition we're playing. We're not playing high level basketball teams. These are the best team we've played recently is Memphis. Did you see them? You did it because you missed the game, but they, they turned it over 15 times themselves. No, no ball security whatsoever. They defend like hell. They can offensive rebound, but they have no execution offensively. And we gave, you know, essentially we gave that game away. We threw the ball away to him nonstop. We got destroyed on the defensive boards. It didn't seem like we came in with a real plan for the press. Um, look, look, it, it does. You can feel it in real time. The expectations slipping. If it's okay to be, I get it. It's okay to be excited about the Tulane performance. You should be. We should be excited about every win we get. But don't just don't forget who they are, and don't forget what you're really celebrating. Because that's where we are at this point is we're, we're, we're so desperate for something to hang on to that it's, it's a, a beatdown of Tulane. Yeah. And this is just, and I guess this is me throwing shade at some of these other programs and that's fine. You know, take it. They deserve the shade because they're not, they haven't been good forever. You know, Tulane on the Kempom respect rankings, the 20, 2021 respect rankings, 139 Tulsa <laughs> on the Kempom 2021 respect rankings, 113. Uh, UCF, 96. Temple, 132. Uh, you know where Cincinnati is? Do you know where we are today? We are on the respect rankings, number the 101st team, according to Ken Palm's respect rankings. Um, that is not where, that's not respectable. Those are teams that we've literally looked at in the past and we go, oh, they're 100. We should, we should be spanking them. Teams, come, or teams are coming to Cincinnati expecting to spank us. Like they're they're coming in and ex- and expecting a W against Cincinnati, and that's something that I don't like as a fan. I don't like the fact that Memphis comes in here and is probably just thinking this is going to be the easiest win they one of the easiest wins they could have had all year. I'm glad we made it difficult for them in the last seconds of the game. Houston, we did make that the easiest one of the easiest wins, second easiest win they've had this year because uh, they just put the smackdown on on Central Florida tonight. Um, I don't like that, and so I think it's okay to hold coaches accountable. To to point out the flaws and what the what the issues that we're seeing, and at the end of the day, look, I'm I'm not John Brand. I never will be. I'll never be. I'll never be. I will never be a college basketball coach. I will never probably. I will never work for a college basketball program. That's fine. That's what their job is. He gets paid millions of dollars a year to put an exciting basketball team together, and he has to do it. Otherwise, that's it. If, if this is like this next year, what's the conversation going to be? Uh, if if we don't have recruits coming in, if we don't have this depth and we come in and we're looking at a team that's honestly performing this way, we're not going to be happy with it. No, of course not. He's he's a new coach and we're trying to get a feel for what this is going to look like long-term. You're trying to get a feel for if he, if he is the guy to run your program over the course of the next decade. It's what we're used to. We get a coach and we have him for 10 plus years. It's what, it's what we do. And it's just been a very rocky start. It's been a start filled with lots of lots of kind of chaos. I think drama. I described it as it's what it is. It's just drama. It's Johnny drama. Right. It's been the it's yeah. been the tenure of Johnny drama. And hopefully this week was the start of something new, right? I actually do think it was interesting that with all of the noise around the program, they did rally around one another. The players are still playing hard for each other. They're very much bought into competing. The team has always competed, though. You know, every game we've played this year has been close. We've always been competing down the stretch. I don't think we execute well. We're not a well, we're not a very good executing team, which is usually something you would chalk up to coaching. 
but in terms of playing hard and being competitive, I mean, these guys fight, they fought all year. So I don't doubt that at all. And if you're looking for hope into the future, it is the fact that there's a core of young guys here who are hungry. They're easy to root for. They have skill sets that translate to modern basketball. It's just where, where, what's the rest? Where's the other, where's the other shoe to drop? You know, like what's, what else are we building on top of this? How is John Brandon adapting to COVID recruiting so that we have a competitive roster next season and aren't turning this into a multiple year layoff from playing in the NCAA tournament, you know, barring us not winning the AAC conference tournament, which let's face it, seems like a long shot when you look at what Houston's doing. So well, uh, I did hear I did hear a little rumor though that Houston is considering opting out of the conference tournament. Does that bring hope? Does that is that a real rumor? Alive? What uh, rumor is that? I don't know. My brother asked me about it today, and I didn't get time to Google it uh, to see if there was rumor. But he was talking about um, that he's been hearing there's some rumblings of Houston potentially opting out of the conference tournament. I guess in hopes to not getting COVID before the NCAA tournament. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't. I have not heard such rumor. It sounds unfounded at this point. But if they did, it would be open season in the American Athletic. Every other team is about the same. So, hell yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it was a good week to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. I think. I got, I got the rumor. I got the rumor mill. I, got, I see. I'm getting where it started. Uh, Gonzaga and BYU are weighing whether they should opt out of the West Coast Conference. Mm-hmm. And so sportingnews.com, you know, picked that up. Uh, and then they, they were talking about Houston in particular, about – you know, how that could impact it. Uh, Samson, because Kelvin Sampson says that on our schedule, it says that the end of the regular season, the conference tournament starts on Thursday. So he has every intention of playing, uh, but it sounds like there is discussion amongst some of the athletic directors at these schools like BYU and Gonzaga, that is it worth it? We're already in the NCAA tournament without playing this game, these games, that if we just get into the tournament and we don't have to worry about, you know, getting knocked out because of COVID. It's interesting. And, or just, they could get knocked out by COVID. Yeah. Right. Like there's always, this season is so weird that Houston could go to the tournament. They could get a case and say, Hey, we got to shut it down. We're not going to play. And if that happens, the American athletic conference is nuts. It's insane. And we would definitely get our hopes way up. Believe that. (laughs) The streak will be alive. If they announce tomorrow that Houston isn't, isn't, uh, you know, they're opting out. That'll be the great. It'll be like, we'll all be singing like, yes, there's a chance. We're back, baby. Talk about a ch- an opportunity to like revive your standing in terms of instilling belief in the fan base is like, yep, Houston's out of the conference tournament or even with them being in it. Like if you went on a magical run, won the conference tournament and played your way into the tournament, talk about a way to earn the trust and belief of the fan base, Hummer. John Brandon oh, can pull that off and, and you've got a completely different tone and, and conversation around not, this not program. Houston, not Houston down a seed line for losing to uh, a 101 on the respect meter. <laughs> <laughs> so we did forget to mention that SMU that got canceled. That was going to be senior night, but SMU still got COVID issues. So that game is off right now. The next game on the schedule is against East Carolina. I think that's next Sunday at their place. Although John Brandon did allude to the fact that he's going to try and get another game in before the East Carolina game. It could be non-conference. I hope they do. Let's get Dayton in here. I want to play some Anybody, man. I I think this team needs games. We need to see growth. We need to see development. And the only way you can do that is by getting games in. So otherwise we play ECU next week, 1 PM. Can you get Louisville last second? Can we get Louisville up here? That'd be tight. I don't think they want to do it though. They got it next year. Give us, uh, give us North Carolina. Give us anybody. I just want more basketball. Give me a couple more games. I'm in. I'm in. The more the more games, the merrier. Uh, this is we're already being uh, you know gypped out of ten games this season. It hasn't been fun. <laughs> so for summarizing the takeaways from this podcast, here's here's my big takeaways. Freshmen, they're here. They're real. They could be legitimately they're, big time. They're, they're people too, you know. They they're have people feelings. too, you know. They 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 can be big time <laughs> contributors next season. And it, it's okay to it is okay to criticize a coach. It's okay. It's okay, guys. It's 
all good. It is. I mean, we didn't even actually crit- we didn't even get into the biggest criticism. I guess we kind of buried the lead on that. He started and allowed us to go down six to nothing in a game against Memphis. Well, are we gonna are we gonna talk about that? We should real quick. Do you want to see us move? It. Is it time to move away from from starting walk on freshmen on senior night in competitive games? Um, like in it. What was the downside it, today? Like we lost is, okay, the game. Win, it, win or lose the game, what happens? Today's game, I don't think there's there's necessarily. Look at the end of the day. I'm not trying to be too negative, Nancy, but we're not in contention for the NCAA tournament. We're not on any bubble talk. For all intents and purposes, this game really didn't matter, except for the fact that we're fans and we enjoy watching the game, right? For us, that's what the that's what that's what it accounted right. to from from it. It matters. I guess my only criticism would be is if you are going to start them, because I think we've seen Cronin do this in the past, because Cronin started seniors on senior night. As soon as they got possession, he would call a timeout. Did he really? He had, oh, 100% he has done that. I don't remember him doing that. Maybe he would let one position, one or two possessions happen. But the thing today was it was totally goofy. Like the first two possessions, actually, it was more than that. Mamadou Dihara had three turnovers in the opening sequence of the game. Sam Martin, I loved it. There was people complaining about Penny Hardaway pressing, and I thought, no, that's awesome. The fact Let that Penny do. Hardaway start, saw us starting our walk-ons and said, "Hey boys, we're gonna we're gonna turn up the full court press here." Little There's Sam Martin blood. has no There's chance. Blood. There's blood in the water. We're gonna go eat it. Um, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious that he pressed us, and Sam Martin had no clue. I mean, what hit I him. guess I would ask. I never really paid attention to this. Is this like a, is it, is this a common, I'm sure it's common. Does every other program do this? Does Duke on senior night start their seat their walk on everybody, seniors? Everybody does. Now here's the thing. It was actually riskier and more impactful last season when we were a legitimate bubble team and, and the American athletic conference championship was on the line, or at least a share of it with Tulsa and Houston that was on the line. And we still started seniors on senior night and got into a deficit and had to dig out of it. That's to me, if, if if there's real stakes to the game, I don't know if I'm starting them. I might try and get a minute here or there, but maybe I'm not starting all of my walk-ons at one time. Like maybe I'm going to find them a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. Rotate rotate them in, you know, don't, don't. (laughs) When you're messing with bubble, but this year we're not on the bubble. And whether we beat Memphis or lost to Mem- lose to Memphis, it doesn't it makes actually, no difference on, on the, I mean, it makes, it makes game. a difference in terms of how we feel about how things are going. Like, don't get me wrong. If John Brandon beat Memphis, that would have been a huge three and a week where he's oh, yeah. kind of, he's and sticking he's, out his chest. Fun. You know, he's showing us the chest air a little bit flexing his pecs. He was already doing that after the game. Um, but you know, it was horrible basketball. I just cannot, I, you should go back and watch the first couple minutes of that game and how we had zero direction on the court. We had no idea what we were doing. It was a clown show. It was Globetrotters. We were the Washington Generals, and Memphis was the Globetrotters. And it was embarrassing, and I never want to see it happen like that again. It was awful. It was humiliating. So I guess, if I had to guess what your take is on it, if you're going to start the seniors, at least have them, they need to be competent on the court and be able to hold their own. Otherwise, don't do it. Sprinkle them in, sprinkle I, them in one at a time. Yeah. I, I, my, my opinion is it's old school. I get it. It's kind of tradition to just play your walk-ons as starters. their senior night. It's really not that big of a deal. If you're a bubble team, though, maybe don't do it. Maybe don't do it. <laughs> hey, boys, for the good of the team, come on. We're trying to make a tournament here. Oh, uh, well, the other best part about this season is that when certain players get into foul trouble, it forces Brandon into a Billy Bean type of situation where he is just forced to play the rotations that we all want to see. And when they do, they tend to work. So uh, it's not you know. a coincidence that the Bearcats two best performances of the year, in my opinion, Tulane and SMU are games in which Chris Vogt struggled with foul trouble. And Tari Eason didn't, and the boy got to eat. And I think there, there's not necessarily a coincidence there. That's our most athletic teams. They're the teams that are most fast-paced. They can match up better. They have the most skill. I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. What other cliche can we use? It is what it is. <laughs> it all, it, yeah, everything is what it is. It just is what it is, guys. Well, look, it's a great week of basketball. We got another week where we don't play another game for a week, uh, and that will take us into the conference championship. I don't think we're making up any games at this point. No, I mean, it, really, it's East Carolina and adding a game potentially. And other than that, we're going into the conference tournament, see how we finish the season. Do we know what seating we're we're looking at now? Or are we? Yeah, let's do that later in the week. If we do another we podcast, we'll talk week. about when it when later. I... Let's let it go. We've kind of been lingering. Are we, fight, here. Are we fighting for anything? Like, what, what's what's really going on here? What are we fighting for? For pride and for belief. That's what we're. I mean, we're for. sitting at. We're actually not sitting in a terrible spot. We're we're sitting in the in fifth fifth place in the conference right now. Uh, once again, man, John Rothstein was just, <laughs> just spot on. You love bringing up John Rothstein. That. Oh, that well, well, this is this is where they like, come back to the frustration of this year. Not to linger too long and drag out this this podcast. We we've, were, already, we've already done that, by the way. Well, we were we were shitting on Rostein for putting us at five in the first place. We thought he was underestimating, and then and then we took it a step further. And I forget who it was on Twitter. One of the other basketball, college basketball, like gods on Twitter. Um, we tweet you tweeted at him about like being one of the most under underrepresented uh, cats. teams. Yeah, and cats. cats. Yeah, and uh, you know we're eating crow on that because we're exactly where they said that we would be and what we should be this year. Um, well, I think we should still be higher than than where we are, but you know, so look, we're still in the top half of the conference. Maybe there is a little a little light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, maybe I don't know if we win. If we can get two more games on the schedule, maybe one's a conference game somehow. Maybe we're able to maybe we're able to jump SMU on the on the seed line there. It's possible. It's possible, Hummer. I think um, I'm. I'm glad we got another couple games here to watch. Hopefully, more than I think more. we will. I think we will pass them if we win. If we beat East Carolina, if they're not going to play the rest of the season. All right. So we get eight, eight wins for three games. Carolina, back. you're saying that we'll end up being fourth in the conference. Isn't that well? Is it? I guess that'd only be a half game swing. So no, we'd still be behind. Uh, that game. All right. Take down the banner. Take down the fourth place bang, banner in the American Athletic Conference. Yeah, no, right, no look, banners. No we've, banner been, for... we've been meandering, Hummer. Let's cut this podcast off. I'll go edit it, put it up, and uh, hopefully it's coherent. I promise you, we love the Cincinnati Bearcats. We love them. All right, buddy. Cheers. <laughs>